In 1872, the United States Supreme Court denied Mrs. Myra Bradwell, who had apprenticed, passed the bar exam, and had support from legal professionals, the right to practice law. Their decision quoted the Supreme Court of Illinois' opinion that allowing women to be attorneys was never contemplated. A lot has changed in the legal profession since 1872, but there is always room for improvement. From the Florida Bar's Henry Latimer Center for Professionalism, this is never contemplated. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new season of Never Contemplated. I'm your host, Heddle Desai. I hope that everyone had a good summer. Last season, our guests shared stories of how they became lawyers and judges and the importance of civility and professionalism in the law. This season, we continue with that tradition and start off with two federal judges who are not only sisters on the bench, but also have created a national program that teaches young adults about the importance of decision-making, how to air grievances without violence, and how to disagree without being disagreeable. As you'll hear in detail over the podcast, the Civil Discourse and Difficult Decisions Program, affectionately referred to as CD3, is a program that brings high school students into federal courthouses to work with volunteer lawyers and a presiding judge to participate in a discussion related to critical life skills, civil discourse, and making adult decisions with permanent legal consequences. Judges Beth Bloom and Robin Rosenberg launched CD3 as a pilot program in October 2017. Since then, it has reached thousands of high school and college students through local federal bar association branches around the country. The program consists of an eye-opening reality check quiz for the students before they participate in a skill-building activity that includes establishing ground rules for civil discussion. Then, There is a simulated courtroom hearing consisting of oral arguments made by student attorneys guided by volunteer lawyers who are questioned by the presiding judge. The centerpiece is that the student jurors deliberate using the civil discourse skills they've learned to work through the controversial issues. All of the cases involve real-life scenarios like misuse of social media, drug possession, and underage drinking. Judge Bloom is a federal judge in the Southern District of Florida. She attended University of Florida for undergraduate work and received her law degree from University of Miami. She was in private practice and served as a traffic magistrate judge and county court judge for the 11th Circuit before she was appointed by Governor Charlie Crist in October of 2010 to the circuit court. She was reelected in 2012 before joining the federal bench in 2014. Judge Rosenberg also joined the federal bench in 2014 and currently serves the Southern District in West Palm Beach. She also was appointed after having been elected to the circuit bench in the 15th Judicial Circuit in 2017. Judge Rosenberg received her bachelor's degree from Princeton and received her graduate and law degrees from Duke University. Although they come from starkly different backgrounds, they are both active in the federal rules committees as well as numerous professional and legal associations in their communities. Welcome, Judges Bloom and Rosenberg, and thank you for agreeing to share your stories with our Never Contemplated listeners. Judge Bloom, where are you calling in from? Well, Judge Desai, thank you for having us. It's certainly an honor and a privilege. I'm calling from Miami, Florida, part of the Southern District, but I'm here at the Miami Federal Courthouse. Okay. And Judge Rosenberg? Uh, Well, good morning, um, Judge Desai, and always great to see my good friend, Beth. And I am calling in from uh, West Palm Beach, um, 
Florida. So I'm also in the Southern District of Florida, um, but I'm in the uh, West Palm Beach and Fort Pierce um, uh, divisions. I'm going to go ahead and just dive right in and start with Judge Bloom. Uh, both of you are on the federal bench in the Southern District, but both of you have different paths that brought you to where you are today. And I wanted to start with Judge Bloom. Judge Bloom, I know that you are originally from New York and you made your way down here. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got down. I, I know that your mom brought you up. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was born in, in the Bronx, New York. Uh, my father was a captain in the Army, but he was also a, a doctor, a cardiologist. My mother was a nurse. And unfortunately, uh, uh, following um, some travels, we, we went to, uh, to Fort Polk, Louisiana. My father was stationed uh, at the, the base there. Uh, we moved back to New York, and unfortunately, my, my father did pass uh, when I was eight years old. And my mother, with four children... Uh, two, five, I was eight, and my older sister uh, was 10 at the time, uh, brought us down to, to Florida. And she had, had been a nurse but had never practiced. Uh, so she was able to get a job working nights as a registered nurse at a, at a hospital in, in Margate. And that's where we lived. A friend had a house, and we were able to, to live there. And, and uh, yeah, she was a, unfortunately, she, she passed three years ago, but she was a a very strong woman and, and uh, imparted strong values on us of, of hard work. We certainly matured at, a, at an early age um, since, uh, you know, each of us were very close, but, but helped to, to raise each other and, and, and help to support our mother as she supported us. Well, I know that must have been tough. Judge Rosenberg, you also, your family, uh, I think your father was in the medical field. He was a periodontist. Is that right? Yes, yes. He, um, my dad is is from New York. Actually, he's from the Bronx. And um, for his 80th birthday, um, one of my two brothers and I actually surprised him. And, and I raised this because Judge Bloom's background in the Bronx. It was so exciting for him. We sort of did a sort of a, a, a walk through his life growing up, where he went to elementary school. We we actually knocked on the door of his actual apartment. We found it and and a family welcomed us in. I mean, here we were strangers and they showed us the apartment. We actually saw the mezuzah that was still there uh, in this very, very small, modest um, apartment. His his parents, my grandparents were from Poland and, um, you know, came through Canada to New York. And um, it was a modest upbringing, but that's that's where he grew up. And he went to high school there. He went to college there. He eventually got his dental and periodontal degree. And um he uh, met my mother in Boston because he did some graduate work in Boston, and my mother's from Boston. And uh, they married and decided, let's go to a nice place where it's sunny and we could play tennis. And so literally just moved down to Florida with no ties whatsoever and opened up his own dental practice um, where he uh, successfully uh, had that practice for many, many years, expanded it and um, you know retired uh, a few years ago. He's 87 years old now, but I and my two brothers were born and raised in West Palm Beach, Florida. And um, it's just uh, interesting how life works out because um, I'm back, <laughs> uh, not far from where I grew up. Well, yeah, you grew, so you left the idyllic West Palm, Palm Beach area, and you went away to college. Uh, and I know Judge Bloom, you stayed here in, 
in Florida to go to undergrad and law school. Uh, Judge Rosenberg, tell us about why you went up north. And uh, I know, I think you went to Princeton. Is that right? Yeah, I I actually went away even earlier than college. Um, It is idyllic down here. But, you know, when you're young, you don't always appreciate what you have and you think it's better somewhere else. And so I actually, at the age of 13, because I was sort of a young student for my grade um, in, in the 10th grade at 13, I went away to high school. So I began my time away in uh, Boston at Andover, Phillips Academy Andover, and spent three years there. And then you're correct, you know, went on to Princeton and um, then um, spent a couple of years working in Washington, D.C. before I I went to law school at Duke and then spent some more time um, in Washington, D.C., although with one year returning to Florida. So I've, I've, I've had my, my, um, you know, turns coming back, even though I left at an early age. And um, I clerked for a federal judge in the very courthouse, in the very courtroom where I now, in the chambers where I now sit. So I, that's where I spent my first year after law school. But then I went up to Washington, um, uh, worked at the Department of Justice for four years in the Civil Rights Division, met my husband, married in Washington. We spent a, a year abroad in the Czech Republic. So that was a long um, journey away from Florida. But once we came back from the Czech Republic, we decided we wanted to settle somewhere. And where did it make most sense to settle? I had three living grandparents at the time, and we were very close to them as well as my parents. And that is ultimately in 1994, what brought us back to um, me back to West Palm Beach. My husband's from Texas. Um, that's where he grew up. We've been here ever since. I want to ask you all of, uh, a lot of questions about that that time that you just discussed. But Judge Bloom, I know that you you worked your way through college um, and and after college in between. Tell us a little about going to University of Miami for law school and and how you got there. Sure. Um, in in high school, I was involved in the school newspaper. I never thought I was going to be a lawyer. I stayed close to home. Um, my my two brothers were uh, young teenagers at the time, so. I went from high school to Broward Community College and uh, wrote for the newspaper at the the college. And it was actually the advisor that suggested that I continue my studies. And I did. I went to the University of Florida and I was fortunate to to be in the College of Journalism and Communications. And it was not until uh, the last semester of of college that I did an externship. Um, Back then, you were able to pretty much develop your externship and a, a local state representative uh, who was up in Tallahassee, said, why don't you come up for the 1984 legislative session? I'd never been to to Tallahassee. I lived in Tallahassee um, during the entire session. And the legislative aide was going to law school at FSU. And there was a combination of not only uh, his suggestion, but I was looking at and and I was supposed to be helping to draft law, insurance law, because the uh, representative Tobin was the chair of the um, insurance uh, committee. And I just really didn't understand it. And and when he suggested that I consider law school, uh, it just everything worked out. I, I went to the uh, the, the uh, LSAT prep course and I, I, I took the exam and I, I applied to um, to University of Miami and I was accepted and I wanted to stay close to, to home. And I, I did. And I um, was accepted at the at the University of Miami. But I, I certainly did never I never expected that I would go to law school. I thought I would be writing for some in-house publication at a a, a large corporation. That was my mindset when I was at University of Florida. Well, um, Judge Rosenberg, did you have any person who changed your direction or influenced you while you were in undergrad? 
I would say no one person. Um, you know, I don't have any lawyers in the family, so I can't say that I was really trying to follow the path of anyone in my family. As I said, my dad's in the medical field, um, but he, you know, he just really instilled in all of us, you know, the importance of education and just using our our minds and our our capabilities to do something that was meaningful and um and and with purpose and kind of i guess gave us you know free reign but just but but just to be smart about how we navigated life um i always felt i was very fortunate and you know i always felt that i had the support um of my parents i i was i was fortunate to have the financial support and so i felt like i could do what I wanted to. And I felt that was a real privilege and, and I shouldn't blow it. I should really take that seriously and, and, and do something worthwhile. And so, um, you know, during college, I was a politics major and I, I was motivated, I think, to understand the society in which we live, the dynamics, the, the, the forces. As, as I went through college, I volunteered. So I volunteered at a um, juvenile justice training school for for young boys and and that's really where I I think I started to crystallize the fact that I had this passion and desire to sort of make a difference in the lives of others. I didn't know how I was going to do it, um, but that's that's what I felt in my heart and and so I I um, I think that was instrumental um, in 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 my early education. Well, I know that you mentioned before that you lived in the Czech Republic for a year, and I think that you did some volunteer work there as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that was sort of a real aberration from the the, the, the normal path. Um, and that's a little bit of sort of, you know, I think how I look at life, it's it's you have direction, you have structure, you, you have to be sort of mindful about what you're doing, but it doesn't mean you have to have blinders on and you can't be open to other um, paths that might present themselves or that you might proactively seek. I, I probably proactively sought this one a little bit. My husband and I were newly married. We were entrenched in a wonderful job, both of us in the civil rights division at the Department of Justice, my husband in the criminal section. I was in the employment litigation section. I mean, we could have just sort of like settled in for years and years there and been very, very comfortable. But I attended a seminar or a presentation at, at Georgetown one evening with a friend of mine from law school. I had seen a little notice about this project called the Civic Education Project, where they were looking for professionals and academicians to go over to the Central and Eastern Europe, European countries in the, in the post-communism period to help with educational reform. And I just thought, wow, that sounds really interesting. I said to my friend, Shiva, let's go over and just listen to what they have to say. But knowing the way I operate, there must have been some agenda there because, you know, it starts with sort of learning about something. And that's exactly what I did. And then I came home that night to my uh, new husband. <laughs> At the time, I said, guess what? There's this really cool program. We could go to the Czech Republic or somewhere else in Eastern and Central Europe and help with the educational reform. We could help set up a school. We could teach. And anyway, one thing led to another. I convinced him to, that we should apply. We both were accepted and we were sent to Pils in Czech Republic, where we actually worked. So it really wasn't volunteer. We, we actually gave up our positions at the Department of Justice. I was given a, a leave of absence. He actually had to resign his position. So it was quite a, it was quite a, I'd say, sacrifice in that regard. And we cut our salary, you know, by <laughs> almost, it, it almost went away completely. We made a you know, a check salary, which is, is very small. We put all of our belongings in a storage unit and we um, 
there for the year teaching and, and setting up a graduate program in, in public administration and a law school at Zapadacheska University, which is um, the University of West Bohemia in the Czech Republic. That's quite an exciting uh, thing for a new couple to do together, I think. Um, Who's going to make or see does one, one or the other? <laughs> well, Judge Bloom, I know that you also, during uh, undergrad and law school, were really active in uh, Blue Key and student government and uh, different programs. Tell us a little bit about how what programs you, that you participated in and how that shaped your legal career. Well, I... I had always been involved and interested in politics. I, I was in student government at the University of Florida, and I was fortunate to be elected when I was at the University of Miami's law school as the president of the Student Bar Association. And I, I, I always had a, a desire to, to help the community, to help make change. And I, I think that's, that's why I, I probably stayed here uh, in, in Miami, is that I had developed the relationships at, at the University of, of Miami and I was fortunate enough to um, have been hired at a, a law firm at that time, a 38-member firm, Floyd Pearson, Richmond Greer, Walzak, and Brumbaugh. Probably uh, recognize many of those uh, names. I, I clerked for, for the firm during uh, law school and was hired right after I earned my, my degree. And each of the individuals were very involved in the community. The founders, Ray Pearson and Bob Floyd, were circuit court judges, um, sheriff of Miami-Dade County. Uh, Jerry Richmond, Steve Zack, and Herman Rusamano were all Florida Bar Presidents. Um, Steve Zack was president of the American Bar Association. And each of them um, took me under their, their wing and, and allowed me the opportunity to get involved very quickly in their programming and, and their organizations. And they were not only uh, extremely accomplished uh, trial lawyers, superb trial lawyers, uh, but they took me under their wing both in the community and, and in the courtroom and gave me the opportunity to, to really develop uh, roots and to, to, to form a, a true love of this community. And I, I stayed here ever since. Well, I know both of you, uh, after graduating from law school, again, had different paths. I think Judge Rosenberg, you, again, worked for public service and did some some work at private firms. Uh, Judge Bloom, you stayed at the same firm for uh, a number of years. Uh, what, Judge Bloom, what made you decide to run for uh, for uh, county judge? I believe that was the first position you ran for, right? Yes. And and my mentors at the, at the firm were very supportive, even though they knew that if I was successful, that I would be leaving the firm. But another uh, mentor, Ted Klein, who at the time was the head of the Judicial Nominating Commission, uh, after that was a, a federal magistrate. Unfortunately, uh, he passed several years ago, but he suggested that I consider uh, applying for the county court. And at that time, I had been in practice for about six years. I was very young, uh, but I had I just uh, finished um, my involvement with the American Bar Association. I had headed the Florida Disaster Legal Assistance uh, Committee, and uh, I was following Hurricane Andrew. So I, I was able to meet many individuals in the community and, and become involved. And I felt that, um, that that was a good time for me to apply. And I had applied twice for the county court. Twice my name was sent up to the governor. Unfortunately, um, other individuals were selected who are friends of mine and, and, and they're superb uh, jurists. And I decided, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to run. I know this community. Uh, I, I know individuals in this community. And, and I think that, uh, that I, I would do well um, serving on the bench. Um, there were, were many individuals that I looked to for inspiration. One of our 
judges here on the federal bench was the administrative judge of the county court at the time, Joan Leonard. And I just felt that that she was a superb judge and I had the opportunity to get to know her and, and to watch her. And I, I felt that, that I could really do some good in the community. And at the time that I ran, um, there were actually four other very young women like myself. I was only 31 at the time that decided to run. It was somewhat unheard of. It was back in 1994 that five women would run together. And of course, we went to all the you know, they, the local uh, homeowners association meetings and, and local uh, organizations to get our name out. And we got to know each other. And all five of us were, were elected without opposition. And the Dade County Bar Association actually dubbed it the year of the woman. So it was, it was a very exciting time. We obviously stood on the shoulders of, of many individuals like Maddie Bell Davis, obviously uh, Joan Leonard. But I think that it allowed us to help pave the way for, for other women uh, to get involved in the community and and to make the decision whether they wanted to serve uh, as a judge. Well, we're all really grateful that that you decided to do that and that the other women um, pursued that and have moved forward um, and paved the way for other people. Judge Rosenberg, um, what made you decide to uh, go for uh, a position on the judicial bench? Well, first, I want to say I'm so inspired by Beth's story. That just gives me chills to, to hear that. So yeah, my, my path was a little different. When I came back to Florida after um, leaving the Department of Justice, I did have a variety of jobs. Um, I, I wasn't just in one firm. I was in different firms. Um, I was also a, an assistant city attorney for a while. I was a general counsel for uh, Slim Fast Foods Company. And I actually had my own law firm and then brought my husband in. And so we had a, a law firm together. And for four years or three and a half years, we practiced together. We had a wonderful boutique firm, and uh, we also started a mediation firm. And um, I, I did um, a lot of mediations and litigation at the same time. So after, um, uh, so so we had been doing that for about four years, and then there was an opening on the state court bench. And um, you know, again, my career had been both a combination of of private practice and in the private sector as well as is in the public sector. I had kind of gone back and forth. So being in the private sector at that time in our own firm, um, when there was an opening on the state court bench. Uh, I was approached by some people and um, I, I thought that uh, that would be an opportunity for me to get back into public service. So I actually ran for that position and ran an what became an unopposed election and was successful in, in, in um, going on to the state court circuit bench. Well, um, again, we're grateful that you that you applied and, and were persistent. I think that is a theme among many of the people that I've interviewed on the podcast is that just because you don't succeed the first time you apply, that you should keep applying and go through the process and, and that it's helpful for other people to hear about your your stories of how you got to where you are. Now, I know, Judge Bloom, you you were uh, on the bench for a number of years, uh, and you went from the county court to the circuit court. Uh, what made you apply for the federal position? I think it was the, the same reason why I uh, applied for the circuit court position. I had been involved in programming in the county court. I was in the county court for 15 years, uh, and I felt that it was a great opportunity for me to, to do some more work in another court. Um, and 
the circuit court obviously had uh, different divisions that I was able to develop programs and and I was fortunate to be able to work with great people during that time. Um, at, at the time that I applied, I felt that I had still a, a, an opportunity and I certainly had a, a, a willingness and an eagerness to, to be involved in in programming on the federal level. Um, I had spoken with, with some of the other judges and I, I felt that that I could provide some service and and that um, I, I could um, be involved in, in uh, opportunities that would help other, other individuals. I had been on the county court for uh, 15 years and then the circuit court uh, for uh, about four years. So I, I felt at that time, almost 20 years in the state court, that I could uh, translate some of the skills and some of the programming that we had done to the federal court. And that's when I was fortunate enough to um, to meet Robin. I, I had ad- admired and adored Robin from afar, and we we became very fast friends, and, and we developed this uh, this program that I, uh, I know we're going to talk about, which is civil discourse and, and difficult decisions. Well, uh, Judge Rosenberg, uh, again, you, I think that you and Judge Bloom were both uh, appointed and made it through the selection process. I think Judge Bloom beat you out by a month. Is that right? One was in yeah. June and one was in July. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm in July. Um, uh, and yeah, Beth, you're about a month before me. A month before, but I should say that Robin and I were somewhat parallel because she, Robin, had been nominated for another position. I had been nominated for a separate position, but at the time we were both going through the process, which is an extremely long and challenging and, and stressful time. Uh, there's uncertainty at every every step along the way. And that's that's when Robin and I uh, got to know each other. And when you, once you got appointed, uh, did you remain in contact or, I mean, do you work together? We, you know, we're, we're in separate courthouses. So on a day-to-day basis, we don't see each other, regrettably, um, and but in some ways, I feel like it hasn't um, in any way distant us or or kept us from fostering the friendship. I feel like I can pick up the phone anytime and call Beth and talk often. We do see each other at judges' meetings, but probably what put us in most um, close contact was was the development of the civil discourse and difficult decisions program. It, it involved many, 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 many hours of talking on the phone. We actually created it before uh, Zoom. I guess Zoom was around, but we didn't know about it. So it was the old fashioned way of talking on the phone. And and what's been fun about it is that we've actually been able to travel together. So we've been invited around the country to speak about the program. And so we travel together, we we prepare our speeches, we 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 sit on the panels together and and so we we feel that we are able to obviously um, share the great things about the program, but we have so much fun doing it that it's it's not even work. It's it's just like a fun a fun road trip together. Um, so that's been one of the just you know amazing um, wonderful outcomes of, of of the program working on it with Beth for me. Well, we're jumping a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I want to uh, discuss with both of you um, the the program that you're talking about is Civil Discourse and Difficult Decisions, CD3, and it involves high school students coming into the courthouse. And basically, I believe um, one of you yesterday called it a training in civility um, and 
you know, becoming ambassadors for civility. Uh, Judge Bloom, tell us a little bit about the program for those who, who are not familiar with it. So in a nutshell, the, the program is, is three hours in length, although we've developed a remote program since the pandemic, which is 90 minutes. And it brings high school students, the three-hour program brings high school students into the federal courthouse. Uh, and students engage with uh, volunteer lawyers from the Federal Bar Association. And there's a presiding judge. And it's, it's basically um, a program where they participate in discussions related to critical life skills difficult decisions that may place them in adult criminal court. Uh, They learn about civil discourse. They're provided uh, tools on civility and uh, agreeing without being uh, disagreeable, respecting others' opinions, um, active listening, uh, respecting others' opinions without attacking uh, the individual. And there are are four parts to the program, and the lawyers become actively engaged in the program. There's a a reality check in which there are 10 scenarios of uh, criminal uh, cases and consequences if they make the wrong decision, for example, open house parties or, or bringing marijuana from one state to the next and the, the consequences of that decision. And then there's also the civility self-reflection quiz that they're given. And that pro- provides a, a, a foundation for us to discuss uh, civility and then there's the skill building where they learn and they interact with each other and are able to develop skill building of, of uh, civil discourse. And then there's the courtroom preparation and the actual presentation before the judge where some of the uh, students uh, work directly with the attorneys and they prepare for a hearing. And it's actually a, a real uh, United States Supreme Court case uh, that they, they present. And then the other students serve as jurors. So the jurors in the courtroom also develop their um, civility skills. And then following that, we then have a discussion and the, uh, the jurors then are able to utilize the, the um, civil, uh, civility skills by interacting with each other. And then we end the session with the answers to the, um, the reality check quiz where the judge speaks to them. Uh, and we discuss uh, the answers, and then they have the opportunity to ask questions not only to the judge, but also to the lawyers. But the beauty of the program is that the Federal Bar Association and the volunteer lawyers work directly with the, with the judge and with the students. And in practicing civility, they become the ambassadors, and the students become the ambassadors because they recognize that, that there are tools that they can use, and they become empowered. Judge Rosenberg, um, we discussed yesterday the genesis of the program, but why don't we, uh, and I know that you and Judge Bloom work together, you both see in your roles as judges the mistakes that people have made and, and where that gets them. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of the program. Sure. Um, well, the genesis was, I think, a shared belief, observation, passion about, I would say, um, two themes that we felt were so very important based both on our personal experiences as mothers of three children and also our professional experiences in the courtroom, primarily presiding over criminal proceedings and sentencings in in particular. On the personal front, the civility and civil discourse part of the program really hit home for us. We saw our children being raised in an environment that wasn't necessarily fostering 
uh, proper role modeling um, for how to treat other people. Uh, it just seemed like it was a very, very uh, contentious political and uh, societal environment. And we didn't want our children, nor do we want other children to believe that to disagree with somebody means that you attack them personally, that it becomes personal, that there is a way in which you can articulate your views, you can have very strong opinions, and you can have very strong opinions about very controversial issues that puts you on, a, on, on the opposite side of, of someone else, even a friend, but that you have to learn how to work through that and express yourself in a, in a dignified and respectful way while still disagreeing. And so that was a theme that we just felt was important for every person um, uh, to develop, young, old, and, and whether you're an attorney or not an attorney. And so that was one driving force that we thought needed to find its way into this program. The other thing that we felt very passionately about was from our collective years and years of experience, particularly in the criminal arena, a theme that always emerges in sentencing is the regret of exercising bad decision-making or bad judgment. Um, there could be other factors, of course, that contribute to why somebody comes before you uh, having committed an offense. I'm not suggesting that's the only reason, but it is a reason that is, is um, identified time and time again, no matter how many crimes the individual has committed, no matter how old the person is, no matter what his or her personal circumstances are, to the last sentencing that we have had, we hear in some form or another, a defendant say, he wish he didn't make that decision, or she wished she had exercised bad judge, uh, she better judgment, or she could go back in time. And so we try to impart that theme as well through what Beth explained as this reality quiz and, and explaining real life scenarios that a high school student might think, oh, that's not a big deal that I didn't pay my parking ticket, or that's not a big deal that I um, went to a party where alcohol was being said. Well, what's the worst that can happen if I have a fake ID? Like, no big deal. We, want, we don't want to scare them, but we do want them to appreciate as they get older in life, the decisions they make have greater consequences, and we just want to make them aware of that and discuss the reality of some of those consequences. So th those were the themes, I think, that motivated us to put this program together. Well, I know that the program has really taken off. The ABA has, um, you know, has touted it that you, uh, I think you mentioned before that you've traveled around to promote the program. Judge Bloom, what is it that local attorneys can do to get involved or help? And what kind of feedback have you gotten from students that have gone through the program? Well, the feedback has been tremendous. And we've been able to, to reach students throughout the country. The program has been replicated in other districts. And back to the original question, the, the best way for lawyers who want to be involved in the program is to reach out to the local Federal Bar Association or reach out to Judge Rosenberg and myself and we'll put you in touch with those individuals. Every Federal Bar Association has a civics outreach coordinator. And through the Federal Bar Association, we're able to get the program out and have the judges inspired and excited about being part of the program and working directly with the lawyers and ultimately inspiring and educating students. So that would be the, the, the best way uh, to be involved. We've had an opportunity to, to speak at the American Inns of Court. We've spoken um, different parts of the, the country uh, to judges uh, and certainly lawyers. The Federal Bar Association on uh, September 22nd is actually taking part of the program, and uh, we're going to be 
presenting civil discourse in the Constitution on the 22nd with judges throughout the country and, and lawyers that are coming in for the National Federal Bar Association Convention. And we're, we're excited that this program has had the opportunity because it is so uh, simple to replicate now that we, we have the program in an easy format. And the end result is, is our goal is to, to educate and inspire young uh, students who are going to be members and, and are members of the community to understand the consequences of their decisions, to recognize situations, and also to be in a position to, to be respectful of one's uh, decision and one's opinion and not to attack an individual who may feel differently. And we know in, in the climate of, of our, our country that uh, there are very differing opinions. And the, the important point of the program is your response. You can always control your response uh, to a particular opinion or statement that may be made. Yeah, I think uh, yesterday when you were speaking, you you said uh, it's imp- it's important for attorneys to be ambassadors for c- civility, and and I and I like that term, that image of of that's our role as attorneys is to promote civility because that's what we do every day is argue with people and disagree and and fight for you know various fa- sides, but uh, that we can do it in a way that doesn't cause. Uh, acrimony or spillover in, into other aspects of our lives. So I appreciate that. Um, and we'll have the links for the, the CD3 program up on, on the podcast link as well. I want to, uh, Judge Rosenberg, you talked about that you had three children. I know Judge Bloom has three children. You both are very active. Judge Rosenberg, I know you're on the Rules Committee for the for the Federal Court and 11th Circuit. How do you keep it all together? How do you have a balance of your of your life? Um, I know a lot of younger attorneys think they have to do it all. What advice can you give them? I think the advice I, I would I would give would be that you can do it all, but that doesn't mean you have to be a superhuman to do it. In other words, you you just need to if if what you want to do is you know, is have a career and, and have a family. That's kind of like the only decision you, you need to make in the beginning. And then you just sort of take it one step at a time. I, I, I think that if we overplay the notion of how difficult it is to have it all, it might be intimidating and, and, and scary. And it's like anything, if you, if you know too much about something, like Beth explained about how difficult the judicial nominating process and becoming a federal judge is. I've said this on more than one occasion. If I actually knew everything that was involved, I probably would have just thrown up my hands on the front end and said, I'm not doing that. That That is like hard, but more than hard, it's like, it's out of my control. There's so many uncertainties and, you know, we, we, we put actual and metaphorical barriers sometimes in our way we're not even realizing sometimes that we do it because it's just human instinct. And so I guess what I'd like to say is I'd like to demystify the notion of having it all. It is true that it's hard. I, I don't want to downplay it. It is true that it takes a lot of um, discipline and motivation if you want to have a family and you want to have a career and in your career, you want to do many things. I'm not saying it's not hard. But I don't want to make it seem like it's only for a select few who have special skills and special talents. It's not. 
it's it's a matter of of pursuing what's important to you um trying to keep a balance in your life for me for example exercise has always been a a constant like i don't think i could do three quarters of what i do if i don't start every day off with exercise it clears my head and my soul and and so i know that that has helped me and um i've been lucky i've have family nearby so if a child is sick at school i i have a, a parent maybe who can pick her her or him up i've been able to find good support so we we have things that we have to find in our own lives to fill in the gaps because there will be many many gaps um where we just can't do it all so i i would just say that it's attainable whatever it is that one wants if one wants both a career and and a and a family life it is absolutely attainable look for help and just take it one day at a time it's like climbing a mountain that it's one step in front of the other and before you know it you're at the summit and and you didn't even realize the ground you had to cover to get there that's that's great advice and what i also hear you saying is not only find the support but be willing to ask for it when you need it and i know that friends and family are are always there for us. Uh, Judge Bloom, how about you? I know you have a lot. You're also the, you know, <laughs> not only are you doing the CD3 program, but I know that you have a judicial internship program that you have started for uh, law students um, and other students. How do you do it all? Well, I don't think that I do, but I try. <laughs> and I think the key is to, to find your passion and to find your purpose. And as with regard to the, uh, the judicial intern program, I have been involved for, for many, many years in state court coordinating the, the judicial interns there. And the opportunity came during the pandemic to expand. We were very active in the Southern District. Many of the judges have, have several, uh, sometimes many interns during the summer and also the fall and the spring. But the pandemic gave us an opportunity to, to really look at how we could creatively bring interns into the fold, educate them, but do so remotely so that everyone is safe. And we were able to expand the program last summer. Uh, we expanded the program uh, to uh, 105 interns. This summer, we brought in districts throughout the country, uh, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and we were able to accommodate 220 uh, summer interns by having a remote program. Um, and, and hopefully we'll expand it even, even further. You know, Zoom, the, a Zoom license gives us the opportunity to accommodate uh, 500 people. So we'll see where, where we go. But I think getting back, Judge Desai, to your question, um, we all do things in our community because we care. We feel like we can make a difference. And, and that's where I think I find the balance, whether it's at home with our, our three children who we only have one left. I think the balance is whether it's on the uh, personal end or the, the professional end, I feel blessed that I, you know, my, my husband will be married 28 years on, on Sunday, that, that if there's a day where, you know, I'm, I'm only at 20%, he'll be at 80%. And at, at work, if, if there's a day when perhaps I'm at 90% and maybe my team, my law clerks or uh, something's going on in their life and they're, they're not where they feel that they need to be, then we work together to make sure that things get done that need to get done. But I think in, in, in life, we all try to find a balance and do what we can. I don't think we can do it all at 100%, but 
but that's, you know, that's the balance in life, right? That's the challenge, but the blessing that we have to be able to give back to our community, to, to give to, um, our community professionally and the job that we have because we found something that gives us purpose and also to be able to have a family that embraces us and, and we're able to, to embrace as well and find comfort um, in the love that, that we have. So I guess my message to everyone is when it's all said and done, find your, find your passion, pursue it. If, if it's a dream that you have, just, I know what Robin said, it's so true that, you know, going through the process, it, it it didn't seem as arduous from the beginning. In the end, looking back, it certainly was. But I think Robin would agree that it was well worth it. And anything in life that you really want is worth it. Um, you just have to just strive for it and do what you can to get there. And ask for help along the way, Judge Desai, as you said, is so important. Well, you both are, are have been very inspirational in your stories and, and your advice today. Um, I want to ask you one final question each. If you had a new attorney in your in front of you in your courtroom, what advice would you have for them? And I'll start with Judge Rosenberg. So I would say I'd have a lot to say, but if I if I just had a, a minute, <laughs> um, I would say something like this: Always give each project or assignment that you're working on your full effort, no matter how small or big. You earn your reputation early on in your career, and it's much easier to recover from a mistake if you have already cemented your reputation than it is to prove yourself after you've started off without the benefit of earning a good reputation. And every project or assignment matters to someone, usually your client, so treat it with utmost care. Your colleagues and the judge will come to trust you if you show professionalism, civility, honesty, integrity, and diligence. Lastly, find purpose in what you do. If um, it is what drives you, motivates you, excites you, and keeps you loving what you do, making a meaningful difference. Thank you, Judge Rosenberg. Judge Bloom? I love those words, Robin. <laughs> um, my, my message would be, be a true officer of the court, that kindness is not weakness, that you can be an advocate for your client and be courteous and professional all at the same time. And that you may be successful in a given case by hard work and preparation. But I truly believe that you're going to earn your reputation in the end by how you treat people. And that's not just the judge. It's everyone in the courtroom. It's everyone outside of the courtroom. And that would be my message. Well, thank you, Judge Rosenberg and Judge Bloom, for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Judge Desai. Thank you, Judge Desai, for um, for having us and uh, for giving us the opportunity for Beth and I to uh, see each other again on this uh, on this podcast. We really appreciate it. It was and a to lot work of fun. With you. Yeah, Thank it was you. great meeting you. Have a great weekend. That wraps it up for this edition of Never Contemplated. I'd like to thank Rebecca Bandy and Katie Young at the Henry Latimer Center for Professionalism for the administrative support and Clay Shaw, the technical producer and the Florida Bar's creative support manager. You can find information on Judges Bloom and Rosenberg and links to the CD3 program at the Florida Bar website under the Never Contemplated podcast page. Thank you again for listening and stay safe. Stay safe.